0: Merry Christmas. How about those kids up here, huh? They do a good job or what? What, I, yeah, we can give them a round of applause. All right, home. Um. We don't have to do too much because they're not here. They can't hear us anyway. Um, but actually what I was most impressed with was there's like a group of uh, like maybe 20 kids that were, I don't know how old they were, maybe two years old, three years old. And they just sat here like through the whole Advent candle thing and they must have come in a little early and they were just like, super good. Definitely my kid wasn't in there. Uh, But anyway, uh, this morning we want to talk about hope. And um, if any of you guys know me, you know that um, I am kind of ending the end or the nearing the end of a season of hope I've been having for a while. That I, I have great hope in my life every year And it's kind of a seasonal thing. I've got apps on my my phone to help me prepare and to kind of keep this hope alive in my life. Um, I've got friends that all I do is talk about this kind of hope with. Uh, And for me, it usually starts around July-ish, right? Me and my friends, we start um, looking at like the weather patterns in the Pacific and the ocean temperature and trying to figure out what that's going to mean for the Sierra snowfall. Okay, I'm not talking about Christmas yet. Uh, So if you're confused here. No, but for me, it's, it's okay, is this going to be the year that it's going to snow, and it's going to snow deep and heavy, and I'm going to be able to go up there and, and, and ski it and have the right days off? And this is, uh, like, a big deal for, for me and my family, right? Um, it's this like, time of hope. And this year, you guys all have been watching the weather reports, right? My hope is coming true, right? Go tell it on the mountain. And that, that's what that song's about, right? No? No. Um, but I mean, so my hope in snow is pretty superficial, right? It's not really that big of a deal. If I put all my hope in that it's going to snow and it doesn't snow, it doesn't really affect my life all that much. It, it doesn't really affect kind of my, my family or a little bit there. But it's, you know, life goes on. But there are other things that we put our hope in that really are big deals, right? That, that really have great stakes and, and have great risks, in putting our hope in those things. And those are things of who do we put our hope in for our salvation, right? Who do we put our hope in for our spiritual life? Who do we put our hope in for our family or for our world, for our politics? And I think those things can have pretty big risks and pretty big rewards associated with them, right? And we don't wanna just throw our hope into things that are worthless and are meaningless. And so the passage we're gonna read this morning is a passage really about the hope found Christmas, right? This is a word we use a lot around Christmas time, right? You would put it on little ornaments, say hope, or maybe some of you guys have a big inflatable that flops around in your front yard that says hope somewhere on it. And it's a word we throw out. But the book of Isaiah, which is actually written 700 years before that first Christmas, is a book that talks a lot about hope and the hope that we find in Jesus. And it's a hope that actually comes in a pretty challenging time. See, it's written to the people of Jerusalem and Judah, people that that are pretty beat up at this point in time in their history. They um, are surrounded by nations who have fallen to the Assyrian army. The Northern Kingdom of Israel has already fallen and a a lot of the surrounding communities around Jerusalem have fallen. In fact, um, somewhere right around the time this was written, the Assyrians launched a campaign in Judah and they came through and they conquered many of the cities all around Jerusalem and they came to the gates of Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah kind of freaks out a little bit. And so he goes into the temple and he strips the temple of the gold, right? You remember this story? And, and he comes out and he presents it to the Assyrian king. And the Assyrian king goes, thank you. We're still gonna attack you, right? And uh, goes and, and says, God spared them by sending an angel of the Lord. We don't fully understand what that means, but in this miraculous way, God spares them. But the people are still scared. They're still beat up. They're now broke. Right? And this is the context in which God chooses to share just this great story of hope, a story of meaning and of purpose to life that extends far beyond our current circumstances, that gives us hope even when all around us seems depressing and full of despair. And so we're going to uh, turn um, to Isaiah chapter eight, um, starting in verse 16. And, and we're going to start Uh, The first kind of several verses of it really talks about our need to trust in God, even in the midst of a challenging time. And then in chapter nine, it's going to get to really what our hope is founded in. And we'll get there, but um, we're going to go through the first section first. All right. So if you want to start in verse 16 with me, God has just told Isaiah to, to trust me, found your hope in me, lean on me, wait on me. So Isaiah then writes this. He says, bind up the testimony, seal the teachings among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord who has hidden his face from the household of Jacob. I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord have given me are signs of the portion of Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not the people inquire of their God? Should not um, they inquire of the dead on... Or should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teachings and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will become enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their face upwards. And they will look at the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, And they will be thrust into darkness. See, As we read this, I think what what stands out to me is that we live in a world that is in desperate need of hope. And this is 2,700 years later after this is written. And so many of the things that Isaiah writes about, I think, are things that ring true for us today. When you look at kind of the political climate of our, our world right now, if I pull up my Google News report or look on even like Facebook, you just see... Story after story, where it just seems desperate, right? Things seem hopeless. It seems it seems like hate and fear just kind of run rampant behind so much that's going on in our lives. And many of us are preparing to go home to see family for the holidays, right? And maybe some of you guys have perfect families where you're not worried about any sort of family tension. Um, Mine's that way. Trust me, Uh, it's perfect. No, but. But we know that we're gonna go home and there's brokenness in our families and there's even despair within our families. Then we look to our own personal lives, our own spiritual lives, and we just see our own brokenness within inside of us. That even though we wanna do what's right, even though we wanna do what's good, we still fall short so often over and over again. And this passage reminds us that we are desperately in need of hope, that we need to, to put our hope in something. Yet I think so often God allows us to go through these places where we are in despair, where we're in pain, where we're struggling, because it's at that point that we realize we need hope and we call out to him. So I've already kind of started down the snowboard story. So I'm just going to jump all in on my snowboard illustrations, right? Um, You might remember a couple of years ago, I was hobbling around here on a broken leg, right? I don't know if some of you guys might remember that. And what had happened is I was snowboarding and I hit a tree. And uh, I remember I was on the radio and I called down to my wife. I was like, hey, it's going to take me a second. I'm, I'm hurt. But I don't know why, but I did not want to be hauled down the mountain in one of those little sleds, right? That was just a, that was a sign of failure. If I could avoid that, that's like throwing in the towel and surrendering. I needed to get down the mountain on my own kind of grit and ignorance, right? So, so I, I kind of get up and I'm like, oh, this really hurts. I'm not sure. And I go, but if I can just get out of the trees where it's kind of rough and stuff, and if I can get onto the smooth groomed trail, then I can make it down to the bottom of the mountain. So I put like this hope that I could get to that. That that was where it was going to get easy. So I get out of the trees and I get onto the groomed trail, and I'm going down. I'm like, oh, this is not much better. This hurts so bad. And I get to the bottom, and I see Becca, my wife, and I'm standing there going, "Yeah, it hurts. But if I can just get over to those benches over there and sit down, it's going to be okay." I. I just, I gotta get over there. So I take my snowboard off and I'm using it like a crutch to try to like hobble through the snow. And I made it about 10 steps and I was beyond despair. I knew I was done. It was time to throw in the towel and call and I had to get on the back of the little snowmobile and get hauled in. And, and, but it was at that point that I realized, okay, I need help. I need something beyond myself. And I think in a much more real way, God allows us to go through our pain and our despair. Because when we go through our pain and despair, we realize that we need hope beyond ourselves and we call out to him. In fact, in in verse 17, Isaiah says something I think that's really profound here. He says, as for me, I will trust in the Lord who has turned or has hid his face from from, uh, the house of Judah uh, or let's say here, 17, say it right here, from the house of Jacob, I'm sorry, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, I will hope in him. What a a beautiful saying this is, that I will continue to hope in him, even though we are going through this struggle, even though we are going through this pain, I will continue to put my faith and my hope in him. And see, I think the reality of it is that we all have hope in something, right? If you don't have hope in this world, it's I don't think any of us can make it. So we have hope in things, and maybe even our hope is just in being ignorant of things around us, saying, oh, I'm just going to hope everything's going to work out all right. But we all have our hope and our confidence in something. And I think this passage kind of tells us a couple of different things that we have hope in, and some things that we put our hope in matter, and they last, and they, they stay, they, they work, and other things aren't. So I just kind of wrote down three things I see kind of in the passage in our own life, that there are three ways that that we have hope, think, or three things that we put our, our hope in. And the first is here is in the example that we see of Isaiah, that we can put our hope in the promises of God. See, that's what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying, hey, as for me, even though right now it seems like God is hiding his face from us, I'm going to continue to put my hope in him. I will continue to trust in him. And then in verse 18, he says, As for me and those who are following with, that are following me and are following the Lord, I will use that to know that God is on Mount Zion. In fact, what he's saying is I can see through the context of what God is doing in our lives, of what God has promised to do, that he is who he said he will be. And even though what I see right in front of me seems pretty desperate, I will continue to put my hope in the promises of God. See, I think trusting in God sometimes is like having a puzzle where we don't have all the pieces to it, right? That that like... We have everything we need to fully trust in God, but there are pieces that we don't have, that we don't know. And so we have some options. One, we could look in those situations, those circumstances and we go, I don't know if God is really trustworthy because I can't see him in this exact moment. Or we can step back and say, no, God is trustworthy because I've seen all that he's done, all that he's promised, and I trust him. And I think that's what Isaiah is doing here. To kind of illustrate that, I got some pictures here. Okay, so First off, we're missing some pieces of this, but can anybody tell me what this is a picture of? Golden Gate Bridge. Good. Somebody in first service said a puzzle, which I think was a better answer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, so now we're missing key pieces of information here, but it's still obvious we know what this is, right? We got another picture here. All right, what's this? Yosemite. How do you know? I mean, we're missing. We can't even see like the top of whatever that is there, right? Okay, we got one more. This one gets a little harder. Okay. <laughs> that's that a picture of, right? I think all you could have is that smile piece and you'd know exactly who that was a picture of, right? That's, that's wrong. All right, take that down before we are totally distracted. But, uh, but isn't that somehow how trusting God is like? That God has given us everything we need to know about him and about his plan so that we can fully trust in him. Yet there are pieces that we don't know. And he's saying, put your trust and your hope in me, because I am faithful. I am what lasts. I am what matters. But in this passage, Isaiah realizes that not everybody is going to put their trust in God. In fact, there's going to be a group of people out there who are going to put their trust in other things, and they're going to encourage other people to trust in those other things. And a lot of us, I think we just put our hope in kind of a blanket and other spiritual forces, whether that's kind of a religious spirituality or whether that's just a spirituality without religion or whether that's even just kind of traditions that have been passed on to us that we think if we just maintain these things in our life, then we can have hope that we can just continue on in life. And that's what's going on in Isaiah's time. He's saying, I know that you guys, I'm calling you to put your trust in God. And there's going to be people that are going to come up to you and they're going to say, yeah, okay, I know you're putting your trust in God, but maybe you should hedge your bets a little bit. (laughs) You know, maybe we should look to some other stuff out there. What about, what about uh, these people over there? They seem to have a lot of wisdom and spiritual knowledge. Let's, let's go to the mediums. Maybe they can help us out. Or maybe we need to look back to our ancestors, to the dead, through the uh, necromissers or however you say that word. I mean, how many people used that word last week? Anybody? No? All right. But let's go look to, to the, the past, our ancestors, and maybe they can give us kind of meaning and hope for today. I found that interesting as I was thinking about this, how many cultures we we look towards kind of our ancestors to the dead to find meaning and purpose in life. And and Isaiah is clear that, that none of these things brings meaningful hope. Yet we do them all the time, even as Christians, right? We kind of feel like, man, if I can just put my hope in doing the right things, if I can just go through the motions, if I can just come to church enough, if I'm just a good enough person, then good things will happen to me and everything will kind of work out right. And our hope is actually in that and not in God. And that's a subtle difference, but it's a drastic difference. Because one way, when we're just pursuing spirituality for the sake of spirituality, what we're actually putting our hope in is ourself. Right. We think that if I can do enough good things, if I can just kind of keep things in line, then I can get benefit for myself. Where the other is where we stand back and say, God, I will trust you because you are the only thing that truly gives me hope and meaning in life. So we, we put our hope in, in just kind of these blanket spiritual forces. And, and Isaiah says, no, that there's no light in that. How, why would you go ask the dead for advice about the living? You know, you can't go to a dark source and hope to find light. That'd be like, imagine we turned off all the lights in here and blacked out all the, the doors and all that. It's pitch black in here. And I go, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I've got a piece of paper and a pencil and I start drawing. You can't see this, but I'm describing this because it's pitch black, right? I start drawing a flashlight and I draw this beautiful picture of a flashlight. I go, good news, I got a flashlight. We're okay. Would that give us hope? No, because that thing couldn't produce light. Even if I had a Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light, that could not produce light in here, right? We would, be, we would be sunk. And in the same way Isaiah is saying, when we turn to all these other spiritual, traditional forces to try to give ourselves hope, it can't produce hope because there is no light in it. There's no. There's, God is not in those things. And you keep. And I think another thing that we put our hope in, especially here, kind of in the Silicon Valley, is that we put our hope really in our human efforts, right? It's this idea that regardless of anything spiritual, regardless of anything supernatural, if we just put our hope in humanity, if we put our hope in science and reason, we can make ourselves a better planet, we can make ourselves better people, we can fix the problems in our world. But even that, I think we all see as as falling short, right? We've watched over our history as we've said, okay. science can cure diseases. And as soon as science cures a disease, it seems like a new disease pops up. Or this government is going to bring peace to the world, and they bring peace to the world here and cause a war here, right? And we see that all of our human efforts end up falling short. And the same thing goes internally. When we just try to fix our own spiritual life, or when we try to fix being good enough, it falls short. And Isaiah says, when we do this, we're We pass through the land hungry and distressed and we lash out at our king in anger and we speak against God in contempt. That could have been written yesterday, couldn't it? That we go through our country and we're distressed and we break in anguish. We lash out at our government. We lash out at God. We lash out at his church because it falls short. And the only thing that truly brings hope and is lasting hope is in the promises of God. And now the beauty of, I know this hasn't been very Christmassy yet. Sorry about that. We're getting Christmassy right here. You ready? So in chapter 9, he paints, here's what our hope is in. And our hope is in Jesus. And so check it out. All this that we're reading about here in chapter 9 is about the promised Messiah, Jesus, who is going to come, the hope that we celebrate in Christmas. It says this, but there will be no gloom for for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Um, but in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He's talking about Jesus coming and, and bringing hope and joy it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shown. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders and the rod of his oppressor have been broken as on the day in Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battered uh, tumult And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what our hope is in. This is what we put our trust and our confidence in is that the promises of God is that God is making all things new, that Jesus is coming and has come and will reign forever and will make peace in brokenness and will restore our world. And so God's promises are the hope God's promises are hope to our hopeless world, that when we look at this, this is where we find meaningful hope. And I love here, what we see is kind of a hope to me that seems rather unlikely, right? And one of the things I realized or that I see here is that God's promises are unlikely yet perfect. When I read about the Christmas story, when I read even this prophecy of Jesus coming, coming from Galilee, coming as a child, it's very unlikely to me. This is not how I would plan Um, the the Messiah to come. Yet in God's perfect way, he's knitting together every little detail. Even in the beginning, it says that he's coming from the land of Galilee, the kind of the area most vulnerable, that first place to fall to the Assyrians when they came in. The people that everybody from Jerusalem would have looked up and said, oh man, those poor Galileans, they're really getting it tough, aren't they? He says from there, from those people who are most oppressed, I'm going to bring joy to the nations, to the entire world. And even in that, God is showing that my plan is not just for you. It's not just for you, Jerusalem, but it's for the entire world, that I've got this perfect plan. And while it might seem unlikely, while it might seem to be not the way you would plan things, it's perfectly the way I've planned things. I was hanging out with the uh, seniors at the senior lunch the other day. I got invited this year. It was a big milestone for me. And we were just talking about this, how unlikely the Christmas story is, that God, first off, would choose to become human to save humanity, right? That's amazing in and of itself, but that he would choose to use a poor woman from kind of the outskirts of civilization, from Galilee, and then he would take her and her soon-to-be husband, have them travel a 100 miles down to a small city of Bethlehem just so that this Boy, could be born where David was born, the king of Israel. And then the first people that would come visit him were not dignitaries or noble people or respectable people, but were a bunch of stinky farmers from the mountains, a bunch of shepherds. And all this is so unlikely, but it speaks to the perfection of what God is doing, that he is doing something that you and I couldn't plan, that we could not write the novel for. Because it's in God's perfect plan that he's knitting together all of these details to bring salvation and hope to our world. Another thing I see here is that God's promises are holistic and bring (laughs) complete hope. That God's promise isn't just that, hey, someday things are going to get better. Don't worry about it. Or you can end your life feeling good about yourself. So that'll be good. Or, or this small piece, it's all of it. We look here in, um, in verse four, I'm sorry, in verse three, It says, you have multiplied the nations, and then he comes back at the end, and he says, like those with the joy from the spoils of war. So when I think of spoils, I think of one nation kind of conquering another one, and because they've conquered another one, they've become rich off of the resources of the nation they've conquered, right? Yet here we read about all the nations of the world receiving that same joy. In other words, the joy that we put our hope in, the joy that is Jesus, what Jesus is bringing to the world is unlimited resources to those people. That, that he is not limited like all of the resources that we've experienced. That he gives us out of his unlimited goodness and perfection. And then in verse uh, four, we see here that the rod of the oppressor, the yoke, the burden, is gonna be broken. And I think we can all relate to that because we see a world that's filled with oppression right? That's filled with brokenness. Even in our own lives, we feel that. Maybe not in, in the sense of like slavery or just unfair work conditions or something like that, but we feel that, just the oppression in our lives, right? Just the the burden of these things. And he's saying, no, there's going to come a day where that rod that used to beat you is going to be broken. And then he uses another picture, which I is actually my favorite one in this. He talks about the boots of warriors, right? Boots that that are covered in blood, that are stained. Boots that you couldn't use anywhere else because they're, they're just for one purpose, and that's for killing. And clothes also that are covered in, in blood. He's saying, there's gonna come a day where the warrior's gonna look at those things and say, oh, guess what? We don't need those anymore. Let's burn those in the fire. That true peace is coming to our world. And, and what a beautiful Full picture this is about what Jesus is wanting to do in our world. And I think it shows us how it's expansive. It keeps telescoping out that we see hope in the Christmas story, but it goes out from there, that it gets even bigger and greater than that. See, we've got this image here that maybe some of you have seen before, right? And this is like the dude represents Isaiah there, right? And Isaiah is kind of looking up at this promise of God, this prophecy that God has given him. And from Isaiah's perspective, he probably just sees kind of one consistent slope upwards, right? He doesn't see the valleys and the plateaus and before. He sees that Jesus coming on Christmas and Jesus ruling the world and bringing new government and new order and new structure and all the things that we read about in the book of Revelation, he sees that as one consistent slope upwards. Yet we know that, that there is more complexity to that story, right? We've now lived in probably one of these valleys where we wait now. We've seen what Jesus has done in Christmas. We've seen that Jesus came, that he lived and he died, that he rose again, that death has been conquered, that because of that, you and I can have eternal life. Yet we still longingly wait for the fullness of what Jesus is doing, that it gets even better. We, We wait longingly with hope. And that's the the thing I see here is that God's promises is the complete work of Jesus. See, Christmas is a beautiful story. It's the story of God humbling himself, taking on the form of humanity. And I think that that brings us hope because that's not the end of the story. It's not just a story about an incredible person that walked the earth and had good teachings. It's not the story even of an incredible person that died a martyr's death. It's not the incredible story of a martyr who rose from the dead. It's the story of that plus that he's going to restore all things. He's going to bring salvation and that all who put their trust and their hope in him, he will give them eternal life. And so when we look at those Christmas ornaments that say hope, that's what we see when we drive by and we see hope for the season, it's not just hope that we might reconnect with lost family members. It's not just hope that we're going to find a little joy in the midst of a challenging time in our life. It's not just hope that we're going to survive eating grandma's uh, fruitcake, right? <laughs> Whatever we, we kind of thing. It's, it's more than that. It's hope in this beautiful plan of God. And it's hope that I think is even more meaningful for us when we're struggling when we feel beat down, when we feel overwhelmed, that we can turn and say, Jesus, I put my hope in you. God, I see your plan. I know that you are doing something that is so far greater than I can imagine. But I also think when we put our hope in him, when we really put our hope in him, it requires action in our life. It changes Our life, right? If we say that I have hope in God, yet we don't change anything about our lives, how deep and meaningful is that hope? I said jokingly earlier about my hope in snow, right? But the reality is, my hope for it being a snowy season does actually translate into actions in my life, right? Come like May, the year before I buy my lift ticket for the following year, right? Just hoping that it's going to snow i probably wax my snowboard in like September, you know, because I'm planning for hope in case it comes early. But how much more significant should the changes in our life be when we truly hope in what God is doing in our world? If we truly believe that God is restoring all things, wouldn't that hope translate into us having hopeful conversations with our friends, with our family? No, I've got great hope in Jesus. When we see somebody struggling, wouldn't that hope translate into us communicating the reason for our hope and not just giving easy advice to somebody? Or wouldn't that hope translate into how we wanna emulate this God who we serve, who's a God of peace, a God of love, a God of righteousness? Wouldn't that cause us to want to make those changes in our own life? And I've been even wrestling with this as I've been thinking through this passage is how much does this hope change my life? Do I just say it? Am I even preaching this sermon just saying, hey, have hope, yet it's just a nice sentiment to think about this Christmas? Or does it really change who I am? Does it affect the way I live my life? And so my prayer for myself and for us this morning is that that this hope that we have this Christmas season is not just a sentiment. It's not just a nice thought. It's not just something that makes us feel better, but is a hope that has assurance and that translates into action in our life. So let me pray, and as we pray, maybe just a a prayer for all of us that we ask God to to convict us, to make changes in our life, to show us how to put his hope into action. God, we know that you are are doing an incredible thing. We've seen it, we've been reminded of it over and over again, yet um, sometimes we put our hope in so many different things. Help us to concrete our hope in you. Help us to be confident in what you're doing. Help us to be assured just of your greatness. God, we pray just this Christmas season as we're having conversations, as we're thinking about you and the work that you've done for us, help us to be bold in our conversations. Help us to be confident in knowing that that you are the reason that we celebrate, you are the reason that we worship, and you are really the reason that we want to engage in conversations with each other, to, to share the the joy of this this hope that we have in Jesus name amen Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.